In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever, and unto the ages of all ages, Amen. You notice that uh, something is very particular about this gospel. Something is very, very particular about this gospel. That these people find out that Jesus is in this house, and all of a sudden, that house is jam-packed. And the, the friends of this guy who is paraplegic want to bring him to Jesus, but the house is so full that they can't, they can't bring him in. So they find some other way, they, they, they get through the thatching in the roof or, or whatnot, and they bring him down in front of Jesus. And Jesus lives up to the fullness of their expectation, and he heals him. God is asking you and he's asking me today, with what fervent desire do we seek after Jesus? I want to tell you something. We're surrounded uh, uh, on all sides by people who don't believe in God. And I, I'm not judging uh, anyone to each their own and God bless, God bless everybody out there and, and, and help them along their way and so on, right? But there's, there's a phrase I read in this book, lovely book about spiritual life that was saying that in the last days, apostasy will be so prevalent that the faith of the people of those last times will, be, will require greater grace from God than the faith of the martyrs and the great ascetics of old. Like... I don't know what your experience is, but when I read the lives of the saints and I see that Abba Hermina used to do 1,200 prostrations every morning and 1,200 prostrations every evening, I think to myself, oh my God, I'm like, I'm so bad, like, compared to these people. And St. Peshoy used to tie his beard up to the ceiling and stay awake for three weeks in a row. Abba Makarius used to, to fast a week at a time and then eat a leaf of lettuce, one leaf of lettuce every week. St. Moses spent eight years without ever allowing himself to fall asleep willingly, that he would not have wicked, lustful dreams. Look at how fervently these people fought. I look at these people and I think to them, and I'm like, oh my goodness, they're like giants. And I'm like, in heaven I'm going like, to be like an ant next to these giants of, of ascetic labors. And the martyrs, St. George, seven years tried by 70 impious kings. They, they locked him up in his prison cell with a prostitute. By morning she was a martyr. Look at these people. St. Victor, for five, five years, he was tormented. They, they, there, was this, there was this abandoned castle in the desert that was besought by demons. Everybody who goes there dies immediately from fear. Like they see the person, they throw him in there, and, and it, it, was like a, it was like a fun thing for the, for, the, for the soldiers to do, to exile somebody to that castle, to watch him be tormented by the demons, and immediately he would die of fear. St. Victor lived there for five years and cast all the demons out of the place. And I feel like I'm nothing. This desert father is telling us that there will come a time that apostasy, like failure to believe in the world, will be so great 
that it will require greater grace from God for those believers at that time to have their faith than it will for the great martyrs and the great ascetics of old. I don't know if he was referring to 2017, but when I look around, when I look around outside of here, sometimes I don't find that the words of this gospel are happening. Sometimes I don't find that everyone is pressing into the house to be with Jesus so much so that there's no room. There isn't like, there isn't even room for an extra person because the place is so packed. In fact, what, you know, uh, uh, our experience in the city is, is, is churches getting, you know, uh, re repurposed uh, as condos and as uh, office buildings and, and all kinds of other things makes us wonder what, what happened, what happened to the words of this gospel, right? God has grace for you and he has grace for me in these times where maybe believing in him requires greater grace, maybe requires greater grace than the grace that was necessary for these great martyrs and great ascetics of old. Amos says, say, the prophet Amos in chapter 8 verse 11 says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor of thirst for water, but of hearing of the words of the Lord. That's what we live in today. And the, the message of the gospel, the message of the readings, the message that God wants me and you to walk away with today is this, is simply this. Find Find where you can f find Jesus and get into that house whatever the cost. If you have to unthatch the roof and climb down and, and, you know, if you have to do the Zacchaeus and climb up a sycamore tree, if you have to make a fool of yourself, if you have to stay up late, if you have to wake up early, if you have to do whatever you have to do, because if you're finding it difficult to find God in this time and in this age, news flash, so are the rest of us. So are the rest of us. I'm a priest. My job is to pray for you, and I find it difficult. I can only imagine. I've started now, it's only been a week, where every time I find it difficult to pray, I pray for all of you. If I'm a priest, and it's my job, I'm a presbyter, I'm an intercessor. It's my job to stand before God and say, Lord, remember Amir, Lord, remember Wa'em, Lord, remember, 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 Lord, remember. That's my job, that's what, that's what I'm supposed, that's what God has called me to do. Right? That's my job description. Right? It's to take all of the conversations I have with all you people and go and put them before God. And I'm finding it difficult to pray. How much more you? I, I pray for you. I pray for you that, 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 that the difficulty that I experience may be less. Like maybe what you experience may be less than what I experience. Amos is telling us that there's a time where there will be a famine, not for bread. We live in a land of plenty. We live in a land where every week around garbage time, I find stuff that's gone bad in my fridge and I throw it out. We've, got, we've, we've come to a time where we're not hungry for food. In fact, we're very comfortable. But there's a famine for the Word of God. There's a famine for the Word of God. One of the saddest verses in the Bible. 
one of the saddest verses in the Bible, and the story which follows it is even more sad. In, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, it says, Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. It's very sad. For me as a priest, the most sad word in that verse is actually a name, Eli. Uh, early in my priesthood, my spiritual father counseled me to spend a minimum of four hours reading every day. He told me, he told me you have to read. You have to read so that you have, so that you have something to offer to your people so they can learn so they can know, so they can know the difference between right and wrong in this very confusing age. And he said something to me. He said, and, and if they don't learn from you, Father John, they will learn from somewhere. But what a shame. What a shame if they have to go, if, if they have to go elsewhere to learn, if they can't learn from you. And that word has rung in my mind ever since. Notice, though, it says that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. Look, everything that we're doing here in church, what you're doing in your private prayer closet, is all about the revelation of God. That's what, it, what it's at. That's, that's what we're going for. That's what we're working towards, is the revelation of God. God, as we understand Him in orthodoxy, is not capable to be known by anything other than revelation. Why? Because He is so great. He is so, so beyond our understanding. Because He is our Creator, the only way we can know Him is if He reveals Himself to us in a way that we can, in a way that we can relate to. Right? And in fact, when describing Jesus, it says, No one has seen the Father at any time, but the only begotten Son, He has revealed Him. So that's one of two primary purposes of Jesus' coming to earth, was to reveal to us the Father, whom no one had seen. Moses wanted to see Him, and He was just able to, he was just able to see the train of His robe. But in this story of Samuel, where it says that the word of the Lord was rare and there was no revelation, something very interesting happens afterwards. Samuel's a little boy at this time, maybe five, maybe six years old, right? And he hears a voice in the night saying to him, Samuel, Samuel, put your name there instead. Put your name there instead. John, John. I'm smiling because... Um, uh, a prank I, I play on people who are religious and know this story, like if like the building is dark and like there's one person left in the church and they're downstairs, I'll call their name and I'll be like, Mark, Mark, <laughs> right? <laughs> and when, <laughs> and I, I've done it at work, I've done it in many places, it's really funny to see people's reaction. Sorry for, uh, I'm not nearly as good of a person as you may think I am. Sorry. The word of the Lord, put your name there. The word of the Lord will come to you. God wants to reveal himself to you. God knows that these are days of famine. In Amos he says, I will put the famine. He put it there. He knows that it's there. He knows that the word of the Lord is rare. 
You all have Bibles at home. If you don't, grab one from church. Take it home, a gift from us to you, right? The issue isn't having a Bible covered with an inch thick of dust sitting, you know, in, in a suitcase under your bed somewhere. That's not the issue. The issue isn't how many pages I've read from the Bible and how worn the pages are and how much I've underlined. That's not the issue either. The issue is revelation. God wants to reveal Himself to you, to show yourself to you. And yes, that does come through in the Word of God, and which is in His Bible and in the liturgy and in the sayings of the church and the teachings of the fathers and all of that, yes. But what I mean to say is there is no metric for the revelation of God other than this. St. Paul shared it with us in the first reading. He says to us, we are the fragrance of, God, of Christ among those who are being saved. Sorry, let me read that to you again. We are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved. When somebody has worn a little bit more cologne than they usually do, you know it. When somebody hasn't had time to shower for four or five days, you know it as well. Some of the people who are serving a lot in the church and are always around me will come up to me and say, Father John, you're working really hard these days. You look really tired. And they're saying it from compassion. But I've learned how to translate that phrase. You know what that phrase means? That phrase means, John, the fragrance of Christ is gone. I don't, I don't smell it anymore. Maybe, maybe you need to rest a little bit. What, what I'm really being told is maybe, maybe, you need to, maybe you need to go and stick with Christ a little bit more and soak up some of his smell. You know, it's almost, it's almost sweater weather now, right? And uh, I really like incense. So all you come to church in your wool sweater and then you go to wherever you're going and what, what's immediately going to happen? You go to work, you go hang out with a friend, you go whatever. So you say, what's that smell? And you'll be like, what smell? And they'll like your sweater, it smells good or it smells different or it smells... You'd be like, oh, I was at church. We, we use incense in our prayers. I was at church. Describing the apostles, describing St. Peter, they say, for we know that he was with him. We know. We can see it on him. He was with him. All of the readings are telling us this. They're telling us what Jesus is saying. That the kingdom of heaven is taken by violence and the violent take it by force. That's in Matthew. And then in Luke, he, he, he says, for everyone is pressing into the kingdom of heaven now. He says, everyone is pressing into the kingdom of heaven now. And I know if you're at work, at school, with, and with your colleagues, with your friends, whatever, that may or may not be your experience. But God is saying it to you as a divine reality. He sees the doors of the kingdom and he sees that people are jamming themselves through the same way that the house was so full they couldn't find any way to get into the house except the roof. Just a while ago, and I asked one of the, the person I was sitting with for permission to quote this in, 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 in today's sermon. So one of the youth was sitting with me, one, one nice guy, right? young 20s, was, uh, was, uh, was sitting with me and he was asking, asking me about his spiritual life. And he said, you know what, before you answer me, 
Father John, don't be nice. If I'm fooling around, just tell me you're goofing off and you're never going to get anywhere. When he said those words, I realized that those words, that was the Holy Spirit speaking and he was saying those words to me. There's a lot of time for mercy and compassion and God is full of mercy and compassion. But folks, if we don't pull up our bootstraps and if we don't, if we don't try to to find our way into that house, to find our way to get to Jesus. Your schedule is packed. Cut through the roof, man. Make room. Find time. Wake up early. Stay up late. Cancel a meeting. Do something. I was telling him when he was telling me that, uh, that you know, if I'm just, you know, like, like uh, you know, if I'm just fooling around, let me know. I told him, you know what? I'm very humbled when I remember my, uh, my Muslim colleagues. I, I had colleagues when I was training in, in surgery uh, for the, who from Saudi and from Kuwait and so on. Some of them were very devout Muslims. They would just randomly disappear at random moments in the day. I have a relative who's Christian, Coptic Orthodox, prays the Igbeya this way, prays the cover to cover every day, randomly disappears for 10 minutes. Like in the middle of the day, she'll just randomly disappear and reappear again. Yeah, not, not like magically, like you know, she'll run off to a room or something or go to, go, to the, go to the washroom. She'll find a way to escape the noise and the busyness, most of which, let's be honest, has like how much value, right? For 10 minutes, you know, and leave. My colleagues at work, I'd ask them, oh, where'd you go? I went to pray. No apologies, no nothing. God, my God, is more important than you, is more important than the patient that we're seeing, is more important than the surgeon that we're rounding with, is more important than all of you. My God is more important, so sorry, uh, prayer is at, yeah, sorry, I got to duck out and I'll be right back, right? I respect that. I respect that. God is saying to you and he's saying to me, let's stop fooling around. You want to get in the house? You know there's value in the house. You know there's fragrance of Christ in the house. You know there's healing in the house. Find a way in. Find a way in. Make it happen. Make it happen. I promise you, I promise you, if you and I get down on our knees in this liturgy and tell God, God, I'm going to cut through the roof of my calendar. I'm going to cut through the roof of my finances. I'm going to cut through the roof of whatever thing is too full to find room for you in it. I'm going to cut through, Lord, and I'm going to make it to you. This is what the Lord will answer you and me from Ezekiel. He will say, then I will give them one heart. I'll put a new spirit within them. I will take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Again, in Ezekiel 36, he says something very similar. He says, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I'll take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and put my spirit within you because you walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. All it takes is for us to say to God, I will walk in your judgments and do them. That's all it takes. And God, and God is ready and willing to follow up with that and to help us out and to show us where the opportunities are. One of the most quoted and misquoted verses in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where people say, God won't give you more than you can handle. That's true. That's the middle part of the verse. The first part of the verse says that for no temptation has, has come upon man which is not common to man. Basically saying, 
a lot of us, when we're going through a hard time, feel like I'm the only person in the whole wide world who has ever gone through this. And we feel, and suffering is very lonely. It is. But if we open our eyes and look around for, for one second, we'll find that other people have gone through this. Some successfully, some not so much. Maybe we can learn from them. And St. Paul is saying, people have been there. Don't worry, you're not alone. People have been there. The second part is where it says, God won't give you more than you can handle. That's a colloquialization of it. But anyways, right? And the last part is, in my opinion, the most beautiful part of that, of that whole verse, which says, and with the temptation, God will provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. No, whenever that there, you're going through a hard time, God has made an exit. You're on the highway and you realize you're going the wrong way. God has made an exit. You know, you're not stuck going on that highway for another 40 miles. God will make an exit. If you're going through a hard time, if it's temptation or if it's a trial or tribulation, whatever, right? If it's, you know, due to your own doings or not due to your own doings, that's God's job is to make an exit. If I have overcommitted myself and overpacked my life so that I can't find time to get to him who gives life, I can't find a way to get into the house, God will make a way. He will. That's what he does. He'll find, he'll show you a crack in the roof. He will show, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you so many times, someone would say to me, hey, Abuna, do you want to do this, uh, whatever, after tomorrow? And a little voice in my head will say, no, don't commit, don't commit, don't. I was like, yeah, sure, why not, right? And then that evening I'll realize, oh no, I can't because of this. Oh no, this, and then I don't want to disappoint the person. And then I don't want to be, not hold true on my word. And I'm confused, and what should I do? And I'll go and I'll pray and I'll say, God, sorry, I'm so sorry I didn't listen to you. You tried to get me, not make me get myself into this mess. And I got myself into this mess nonetheless. I'm sorry. Help me out. And God will show me a way of escape. God will show me a way, a gentle way. God will make the other person cancel. Or, 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 or God will make them, or I don't know, or somehow they'll cancel with me. Whatever. Right? These, it's his, this is what he does. What he does is parts the Red Sea. That's why we put that icon over there. So as you're walking out from church and going back into the world, you know, you can know that your God parts the Red Sea. That's what he does. He makes, he makes a highway where there was no land. He makes a highway in the middle of the ocean. That's what he does. And he'll do that for you. And he'll do that for me. But we, we really need, we really need a moment today, I need a moment today, pray for me and I will pray for you, to renew our desire, to renew our zeal, to break through that roof, to break through somehow and get to Jesus. St. Peter's epistle was about that. Desire the milk of the word that you may grow. All, 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 all it comes down to is desire. God is offering. He's offering himself freely to you and to me. But he's asking us to renew our desire. Take a moment during the liturgy today. Allow your, your heart and your mind to wander from the prayers for just a moment. Right? To a time, to a place where you deeply desired God. Maybe it was at your last confession. Maybe it was when you were a little kid. Maybe it was this. Maybe it was that. 
Maybe you can't think of something. Try to think of someone you know who deeply desires God. Set that before you and tell God, God, I want that. I want to desire you. I want to be like a crazy person who will do anything to get to where you are, even if it means cutting through the roof. Glory be to God forever and ever, amen. I have sinned, forgive me. My fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters, please pray for me.